0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast. Hello podcast listeners and welcome to Ask Christopher West. I'm Wendy West and I'm here with my husband. Hi, Wendy. Christopher West.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back.
1: Yeah, it's good to be with you. So uh it is chilly. It's chilly where we're recording. It's
0: we just had a windstorm. Oh my goodness!
1: So cold. I'm not a winter person.
0: We live in the woods, and I always get nervous when there's a windstorm because the thought of a tree falling on our house is not. It actually kept me up last night. Oh! I was hearing the wind howling.
1: No, every now and then it sounds like it just wants to take our house off this hill. <laughs> like, what is that thing doing there?
0: Visions of the Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah. <laughs> the house get going up in the windstorm.
1: I know, but fortunately, nothing, nothing damaged. Not even any big branches. No, little branches everywhere. So that's good. But coldness brings up a topic, which is a funny one. That um, you have a little unusual habit when when you get a a little extra cold. Could you share that with our listeners? This I, is they this, will be okay. Interested. I remember
0: when we were talking about some of my habits on a previous episode. Right. I got a little. Uh, I felt rather exposed. A little talking.
1: shy about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this one's really weird. I, I, in fact, I'm going to share this only because I want anybody out there. If you know anybody who has this strange coping mechanism with the chill, then you please write in and let us know. Because uh, I, I do wonder if I am the only person on the planet that, when I get a chill, I know this is weird. I I quack. It's true. He quacks. I'm not kidding. It, so, so I can I can elicit the quack even if I don't have a chill. So this is what happens when I get a chill. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> when I get a chill, I hate that feeling of it going up my back. It like shakes my whole body, and I try to avoid it. So one time, this is probably 25 years ago or 30 years ago, I said, "I am not gonna, I am, I am not gonna let this chill go up my back and make me feel crazy." So I just let it out. <laughs> I let it out my mouth, and it made this sound. (laughs) 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 So, whenever I get a chill, I quack. (laughs) And it works. So try it. See see if it works. (laughs) But I've not—I've never met anybody else in the whole wide world who has this strange.
1: Well, maybe they keep it as secret as you do. So you could be just opening up a whole new field of. I don't know, like a niche group Yeah. Like okay, the so Chill if, Quackers. If anybody... <laughs> I think that's the name of the band, by the way, what, the Chill Quackers. The Chill Quackers. Yeah, I think it could be anyway. I,
0: I That could work. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so if you're chilly where you are listening today, you know, go ahead and try that quack. Go ahead and quack. And like, maybe we should get on to questions right. yeah, from yeah, our listeners. <laughs> something
0: off the chill topic.
1: <laughs> All right. So I have a question from Jacinta who says, what do you do if you are single? Ha ha, she says. And you've been single for years. I'm now 30 and I want to get married, but God has not put that person in my life yet. How do I reconcile this ache and longing for communion?
0: Bless you, Jacinta. Bless that sacred, holy ache for a husband. It's it's a beautiful thing. This is a noble, noble desire. This is the way God made us. We are made for this holy communion. But we do a disservice to ourselves and to others when we expect that another human being can fill that ache. Now, I know probably now there are people, that are single people out there listening to me rolling their eyes because, yeah, easy for you to say, Christopher, you're a married man. Yes, I am, and I do have the most wonderful wife I could possibly ask for. Oh, gee. It's the truth. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so blessed. Don't want anybody else. Um, truly, I am a blessed, blessed man to have the wife I have, to have the kids that I have, uh, but this is true. I was just talking to a, a friend the other day. He's a priest, and he he called me up and and asked if we could get together and chat. And he's really struggling with his celibacy. Now it's a little bit different. He's this is a chosen vocation, uh, whereas Jacinta, you are you are single and and hoping and desiring to be married. Um, but the, it's it's similar. So I'm going to share some of what I shared with him with you, Jacinta. And we had a really honest conversation about this idea that he had, that he thought if he were to be married, the struggle that he was going through would would somehow cease. Mm. And there is a certain sense, you know, in which uh, what he was struggling with was he crawls into bed alone. Mm-hmm. every night and forgive me forgive me but I can't help but think of my favorite
1: oh yes give the, give us the nacho give us
0: the, I gotta give the nacho I gotta give <laughs> <laughs> so anybody who knows me well knows that there's barely a day that goes by without me quoting some line from Nacho Libre I really really love this movie it is it is Comic ridiculousness, but if you if you really look at what they're doing, they're preaching the gospel through comedy. It's quite profound. So, so Jack Black plays this uh, Franciscan friar, and he's really struggling with the celibacy. And uh, he says, I got a good, really good. I get to wake up in the morning and make some soup. I get to sleep in a bed by myself my whole life. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so he's wrestling. He's really wrestling. And my priest friend was really wrestling with this idea that he sleeps in a bed by himself Every night, but you and I can attest to how we have made the mistake of thinking that our marriage would somehow take away that ache.
1: Mm-hmm. There was a time, I guess, when we thought that all our fulfillment would come through our relationship. I don't know that we would have said that if you asked us, yeah, you know, we wouldn't, on a, yeah. We, Test, we might have said no, but in our hearts, I think we felt that way. And it was, you know, there's a loneliness and a sometimes an anger, you know, that this person isn't fulfilling taking away all that.
0: the ache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had all the right the. We both did. We had the right theology in our heads when we got married in 1995. That yes, marriage, and this is this is a very important point. Just to to answer your question, if you look at the the trajectory of our lives and how the scripture speaks to it. The Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church and the longing we feel for a spouse is really and truly this, this is the answer to your question. It's the the deepest answer I can give you, Jacinta. The longing you feel for a spouse is really and truly a longing for Jesus Christ. It's a longing for the true bridegroom. It's a longing for the ultimate marriage. The Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, as I was saying, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. And when we we expect the human relationship of a man and a woman to, to take away that ache, marriage is meant to be an icon of that heavenly reality, but when we expect the icon to be the ultimate reality. The icon becomes an idol, and we've had to we've had to wrestle through that in our own lives. We've had to recognize that we were in some ways bent towards one another when we got married, hoping and expecting that the other person would would take away that that existential longing, which only God can can fill, and He doesn't fill it in this life either. This life, I remember. Um, Monsignor John, who, who we both know well, who's been a great, great blessing in our marriage, he was one of the first to, to help me realize that growth in holiness is actually measured, I remember him saying, by not the diminishing of that ache, but its increase. That was a, that was a pretty radical paradigm shift for me, because I was angry at that longing. And I imagine, Jacinta, sometimes you might get, you might find yourself angry that you have that longing, that sense of being unfulfilled. Um, my my answer to the question would be to learn how to turn that longing into a prayer. Because prayer, as Pope Benedict XVI said, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. And I I say it with great reverence, Jacinta, that longing you feel is sacred, but ultimately it's a longing for something out of this world. It's a longing for the marriage of the Lamb. Now, the good news is that marriage of the Lamb has come into the world, so we have the sacramental life that gives us real tastes of that marriage here and now. But even for for us as, as a married couple, we have to... We have to learn also how to, to make that longing a prayer and learn how to live the sacramental life in anticipation of our ultimate fulfillment.
1: Yeah, all of that I totally agree with. And I hope that that's helpful, Jacinta, and all single people to really not see that just as kind of a hard-to-accomplish answer, but sort of part of the project of life that we're given by being made in the image of God and made for union with God. So I think at this stage of your life, in your singleness, one of the you know helpful things can be to really thank God for the gift of this time, you mm-hmm. know to ask Him to really develop gratitude in your heart, that while you may long for a different stage of life, that if He's giving this time, that He has a purpose for it, and a purpose for it maybe in your own life, maybe in the lives of people near to you who are blessed by your availability as a single person or the gifts you're able to give to them. Um, So to nurture gratitude for this time um, and the special opportunities it affords you. And also, I I know this is going to sound simple, but I think in prayer it could be good just to let the Lord ask you, do you trust me? Um, Because you you included in your question, you said, God has not put that person in my life yet. And Mm. so I think that's a beautiful statement that you have a certain level of trust in the Lord that He will bring someone if that's His will for you, but in a deeper way to just respond truthfully to the Lord about whether you trust Him. There's no... Need to pretend to be grateful or pretend to trust if that's not where you are. But these are some of the challenges that correspond to those deep places in your heart that I hope you know that will be helpful to you.
0: Just one more thought for you, Jacinta. This is if our faith is real, then this is real. You are chosen. You are chosen by the king. You are chosen by the eternal bridegroom who longs for you. He aches for you more than you ache for him. And to to learn how to direct that ache in your heart towards him can and will lead to a profound level of intimacy with your true bridegroom. And when we realize that that really is the cake If you will, you know, marriage, if you're called to marriage, that could be nice icing on the cake, but the cake is not an earthly spouse. The cake Mm. is the marriage of the lamb. And that's real. That's that's, awesome. That's really real. If our faith is real, then that is real. You are chosen, Jacinta. You are deeply, deeply loved.
1: I have another question for you. Uh, This comes from a listener named Tom, who is married and has a specific question related to married life. Tom says, I often struggle with my own sexual desire for my wife and distinguishing whether this desire and how I express it is right or wrong. He says, we're planted in the church's teachings, but my experience has been one at times of guilt over whether I'm truly being loving or lustful toward my wife.
0: Bless you, Tom. Bless you, brother. I feel a deep solidarity with you in this question and in the struggle it's a real struggle uh, you know if i'm wondering if there might be listeners out there who who aren't familiar with even making these distinctions some people out there might be thinking what, what this is ridiculous it's your wife just enjoy mm. Mm. and and yes there is a beautiful freedom in married life there's meant to be a beautiful freedom in married life but it doesn't get us off the hook from examining our motives, and, and here I'm appealing to Saint John Paul II's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, "If you even look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart." And he goes on to say, in his in his beautifully insightful reflections on Jesus's teaching, that it's very important that Jesus says a woman. He doesn't say a woman who's not your wife, and he he goes on to say, and this 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 got dramatic reaction around the world. There are headlines in newspapers mm. around the world uh, confusing what John Paul was saying and, and just with ridiculous interpretations when John Paul II said, it applies also to your wife. You could treat your wife, and it goes the other way too, a, hus- a wife could treat her husband yes. as an object of lust. And mm-hmm. that means as, a, as an a, an object to use
1: mm-hmm. for
0: selfish pleasure. Mm-hmm. When John Paul II said this, headlines around the world said things like this, Pope condemns sex even in marriage. Oh my goodness. Ridiculous, ridiculous. In a, a, one editorial I read said, um, well, if a man can't lust after his wife, who can he lust after? Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, the The answer to that would be no one. <laughs> But here's the point. Lust is not the only way to live and experience sexual desire. And this is what Tom already understands and knows. And this is where the question in Tom's heart is coming from.
1: Which is a beautiful question. And and Tom, you know, I just want to affirm that that that's a beautiful struggle, even if it's a difficult, at times painful struggle. It's also, you know, a rare struggle in that as you were just sharing, because for many people don't even think about these these things. Don't even make these distinctions. There's a beautiful gift of your heart just shining even in the question. That's right,
0: that's right. And here's another point. Even if we don't make the distinctions or ask these questions, it doesn't mean we don't feel it in -hmm. our hearts when we're being used. Mm -hmm. And I'll often say to, and I speak from the male perspective, because obviously I am a male, uh, so I'll often say to the guys in my, in my audience, you know, and it's a call. They know I love them. I'm not there to, to, to rail against them because it's a struggle I have to look at in my own life, of course. Uh, but I'll say, guys, I know it's a cliche, but why do so many wives claim headache when we're interested in, in sex? I say, maybe, maybe it's because they feel used
1: mm-hmm.
0: rather than loved. And this is real. This is real. It's, marriage doesn't make it okay to, to treat your spouse as an object to indulge your selfish desires. Marriage is a calling. It's a calling to learn how to love as Christ loves. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the Church. And this calls for an ongoing, in-depth, painful, speaking from experience, painful purification all of that background to actually dive into the question. How can we know? How can we How can we recognize whether we're coming from a place of genuine self-giving or a place of kind of just a selfish, indulgent desire? And I don't know how much is appropriate to share from our own journey here, my love, but uh, I, I, I know I've had to look at my heart and say, where is this desire coming from? I've had mm-hmm. to really learn how to read your heart, mm-hmm. which which intuits when my motives are are genuine and good and when they, they may be less than that. And also a learning to accept the fact that we're never going to be perfect here. It's not get perfect motivations and then come together as mm-hmm. husband and wife,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because that's not... Real there there are always wheat and weeds growing together in our hearts, uh, and the goal is not to necessarily expect that we could entirely rid ourselves of the weeds, but to recognize, okay, these are weeds in my heart. There's a selfish urge here there's a there's a a lack of respect or honoring for my spouse here. A very obvious example would be. Maybe it's an inopportune time to come together in the marital embrace, and you're resentful about it. Maybe your wife is not feeling well, honestly not feeling well, or maybe she's just had a really hard, difficult day, and it's not appropriate to to expect that you would unite in your marital embrace. Mm-hmm. If, if there's bitterness there, if there's anger there, if there's resentment towards your spouse, then... Then yeah, that that would be something to look at.
1: I have such a respect for um, men, and there's a an added difficulty, I think, as man that um, as one who perhaps more often experiences the physical inclination towards union, and I, you know, I don't have studies to point to, but I think that it may be more common that women begin to feel the physical desire after they've already, you know, begun their union in the sense that it takes a while for the woman's physical response. And so there's kind of a uncertainty, I think, that a man can feel and definitely a vulnerability that depending on your wife's reaction to, you know, feel maybe rejected or accused of being unloving or insensitive. And, you know, so there's a lot of deep, sensitive things about this whole topic. And I think probably, you know, there are men out there and and women out there who can relate to this struggle. And I, I just feel like um, one of the things to take to heart is how much the Lord loves us as we are, and that we don't have to be perfect to be loved. So that that sense of guilt might be in a way a, a feeling that um, I've failed if I've not been perfect. Mm, and, mm. and, you know, there's there's something beautiful in being human and that married people are all human people. Um, no one is perfect. Your wife's not perfect and you're not perfect. But even in the pain of some of those moments of reconsidering there can be an opportunity to receive the Lord's deep love for you and also your wife's deep love for you in those situations.
0: Mercy is the number one ingredient of a successful marriage. I've said it before, and I'm sure our listeners will hear me say it again. We need to be tender and merciful towards one another. Uh, I want to share a quote here, Tom, from Pope John Paul II. Because what you're really asking for here is purity of heart, and purity of heart is a journey. Uh, we we cannot expect we're gonna we're gonna ever arrive at perfect purity in this life. But he says this: in mature purity, we enjoy the fruits of victory over lust, a victory of which Saint Paul writes, exhorting man to control his own body in holiness and honor. So. When St. Paul talks about man here, he's not just speaking of the male, but we're all called to control our bodies in holiness and honor. And we come to enjoy, John Paul II says, the efficaciousness, big word, the efficaciousness of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means the, effect, the, the effectiveness. The Holy Spirit really is effective in transforming our desires. And John Paul says that the Holy Spirit responds Restores to our experience of our bodies and the marital embrace all of its simplicity, its lucid clarity and interior joy.
1: Hmm. So the
0: Holy Spirit comes to give us joy. Purity of heart is not repressiveness. Purity of heart is a more refined joy in learning to love Rightly, so Tom, keep going in opening the desires of your heart, just as they are, whatever you're feeling. Right in prayer, we can just put it all out there. You know, I, I would really encourage you to journal, Tom, to write out what you're feeling and and just say, Lord, I give this to you as it is, how I'm feeling it, how I'm desiring my wife, just as it is, and say, Holy Spirit, come right into this desire untwist whatever is twisted up in there in a selfish way and teach me to love. Invoke the Holy Spirit into your heart and invoke the Holy Spirit into your marriage bed to teach you how to love and take a walking stick for the journey, (laughs) as Jesus says, because it is long and there are always new stages of growth in the journey of purification. Mm -hmm. Keep going, brother.
1: I do have another question for you from... Charlene. Uh, Charlene says that she's a spiritual director and a celibate consecrated woman, but that she often encourages spouses to pray together uh, when she's giving her spiritual direction. And she says, oftentimes I get surprised with the response, that's awkward, the thought of praying together. So her question would be about your thoughts on couple prayer or marital prayer.
0: Well, first I want to say hi to Charlene, because I think I know who this Charlene oh, is. Okay. Hi, Charlene. Hi, Charlene. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we we could share from our own journey of, of learning to pray together. We've had mm-hmm. our ups and our downs and lots of mm-hmm. missteps along the way. Um, I remember, just I'll share a, a real <laughs> mistake that we made uh, early in our journey of prayer where... Um, I was not respecting the privacy of your prayer. Mm. And I thought we should be sharing everything that we are learning in prayer. And there's a there's an intimate place in the other's heart that only belongs to God. Mm -hmm. So maybe some of the awkwardness comes from that, but also prayer should be a, a regular and normal part of of a married couple's life, mm-hmm. if they're really trying to live a Christian marriage, I can't imagine otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, Charlene, if you're, is the awkwardness, perhaps prayer specifically about the marriage bed? I could speak into that. Is it prayer in general that's awkward?
1: Yeah, um, I, I kind of, it seems like from, I didn't read everything that she said, um, but it did seem like from the context that she's, Just wondering about couples praying together in a general, in a general sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a call to intimacy. Uh, Prayer is a profoundly intimate reality.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: There's, you know, there's public prayer, and thanks be to God, we have a church with an authority to say when we gather publicly. Here's how we're going to pray. Mm -hmm. That's why we have the rubrics of the liturgy so that we can pray publicly together. If we didn't have the rubrics of the liturgy, you know, public prayer would be pretty chaotic. But there's also private prayer where Jesus says, when you pray, go in your inner room and close the door.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's that's very intimate and personal. And there are certain things when I go into my inner room and close the door there are, and pray, there are certain things that I experience in prayer that I may not necessarily share with you because it's just between me and the Lord, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's the same for you, Wendy. Sure. But then we've had to also learn to to build our own culture of prayer as a couple, the way we pray together, which is kind of... Um, it's, it's, it's on the more intimate side. It's not public prayer, um, and it's not entirely private prayer because you're with another person. Yeah but it's, it's a learning, a level of intimacy with one another that also becomes intimacy with God.
1: Something that where we are right now in our relationship as far as prayer together is a certain spontaneity, a certain comfort with, um, gosh, we're just lying in bed together, and it's not that every bedtime we are going to be sure to pray together. So it's not a, a scheduled thing but a spontaneous thing that's not infrequent to hold hands and one or the other of us to just in normal speaking, not a formal prayer, just speaking to the Lord to pray for something related to our lives or to our spouse and the other one to then say something as well. And it's a there's a closeness, there's something about the the darkness and the quiet that's you know, very beautiful and simple um, and very natural for us. Mm -hmm. Um, There can be start of the day prayers as we give each other a hug to have a simple, you know, prayer for the Lord's blessing on our work or something that we know might be a struggle health-wise or personally that we would say a prayer for the other in those moments. Times when we're just both maybe having difficulty making a decision, something in our parenting or our finances, that we just take one another's hand and just say something to the Lord Mm -hmm. together. So I just share those as examples of, you know, kinds of prayer that we are really blessed to share with one another.
0: And then there's a a knowledge we have of one another with our maybe deeper interior struggles where we'll be praying for one another separately Mm -hmm. and then maybe we'll kind of check in with one another how you're doing with that and Mm -hmm. um, I, I always feel very blessed and affirmed when you'll sometimes just put your hand on my my chest because you know I'm struggling with something and you'll you'll pray a prayer of blessing right uh, but I would, I would say to those who are wanting to learn how to pray as a couple, and, and of course it's always a journey. We're still learning how to pray as a couple. There's mm-hmm. always more to learn. But if you just feel like you're just starting out there, you know, formal prayers can be very helpful just to you know, go back to the prayers you learned as a child. Pray mm-hmm. the Hail Mary together. Mm-hmm. Um, prayers before meals. Prayers at bedtime with your kids as a couple. Uh, and and maybe just make the commitment to, once a day, just hold each other's hands and say in Our Father together, and open your hearts while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. If it's just a, a rote repetition of words, that can be, you know, dry. Uh, but if it's coming from the heart, formal prayers can be of great, great service to us in kind of kick more spontaneous prayer. But Prayer is really an exercise of the heart. It's learning to get in touch with our hearts. It's learning how to acknowledge what we're really going through. This is a little acronym I learned from the Institute for Priestly Formation. A-R-R-R. Acknowledge what you're feeling, what's going on in your heart, to get in touch with that. Acknowledge it. Relate it to God. That's the first R. Uh, Give it to God. Open it up to God. Um, and and then receive whatever He wants to speak to your heart. There's a way we train our our hearts to hear what the Lord is saying as we give Him what's going on in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And then the final R is respond to that. If the Lord is, is pouring out a certain grace, then we go forth and and live from that grace. We respond to that. So A-R-R-R, acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. Acknowledge mm-hmm. what's going on relate it to the Lord, receive whatever grace He's offering, and then respond to that grace. And that's also a way to pray as a couple, to to just ask what's going on in your heart. What are the frustrations you're feeling? What are the struggles Mm -hmm. you're going through? Learn how together to relate that to the Lord, to open that up to the Lord together. Learn how to quietly receive what the Lord might be speaking to your hearts Mm -hmm. as a couple, and then learning as a couple to respond to that that grace. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on on that. I I know I'm kind of shoving it in towards the end here pretty quickly, but it's really, really um, worth pursuing. Even if it's awkward and strange, it is really worth pursuing learning how to pray together as a couple. It will enrich you beyond what you can imagine. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, you can go to AskChristopherWest.com and leave a question for us. We'd also love it if you would leave a review for us. Uh, Tell us what you think about the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you also to continue the journey in learning about theology of the body and sign up for a free course called What Do You Want? It's a reflection on those words of Jesus from the Gospel of John what are you looking for what do you want it's a course on the deepest desires of our hearts you can learn more about that at Ask Christopher West forward slash free course until next time take care everybody God bless you The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key.
1: So, uh, it is chilly. It's chilly where we're recording. It's... (laughs)